Happy Monday, friends, and welcome back to the Mark Claire Show. What better way to start your day, to start your week, than with your old pal Mark Claire? Another great conversation. I'm going to have a good one today with my man Griffin Daughtry, a guy who I first heard over on the Counterflow podcast from my friend Buck Johnson. Be sure to check that out. And as I was listening to that show, it, you know, it occurred to me I've been looking for someone to really dive into the UFO issue with and uh, Griffin's take on the UFO issue really fit right in to what I'm trying to dig into here at the show. So I think you're really going to enjoy that. If it seems like I have a little extra pep in my step today, it's because I do. Started my day a little different today. I started my day with a new bean. Here we go. If you can't see what I'm doing, it's because you're not watching the video. I'm on YouTube. I'm on BitChute. I'm on Odyssey. I'm on Rumble. Rockfin. You can find me everywhere. If you see the video, you'll see that I'm holding a brand new there you go. From Fox and Sons Coffee, the Costa Rican Honey Prep. This Now look, if you're like me, you might have been a little skeptical at first. I, I hear honey. I think really sweet. I don't really like sweetness in my coffee. I'm more of a bitter guy. Get that out of your mind. This is just plain delicious. It is not sweet. It is, it is coffee, and it's awesome coffee. It's smooth. I would describe it as smooth. Now, I'm not a refined man. I don't know if these are the right terms to use, but that's what I think when I sip in this coffee this morning. The Costa Rican Honey Prep. You can get that over at foxandsons.com, F-O-X, the letter N, S-O-N-S.com. Stephen Fox is a good man who started this business not just to earn a profit, which he'd like to, of course, uh, wouldn't we all, but also to teach his sons about entrepreneurship, to share his love of coffee with them. And I think that is just a wonderful thing. So head to foxandsons.com, use discount code MCS, think Mark Claire Show, discount code MCS, gets you 18% off your first bag. You got to check it out. Foxandsons.com. MCS, how many times do I got to say it? Just go get yourself a bag, kids. With that being said, enjoy my conversation with Griffin Daughtry. I am here today with a gentleman who is a writer and a newspaper editor, a newspaper man, if you will. Just don't call him a journalist. Uh, he has written articles on politics and history for sites like the Foundation for Economic Freedom, Epoch Times, and many, many more. I'm very pleased to welcome Griffin Daughtry. Griffin, welcome to my show. Thanks, Mark. It's good to be here. Well, it's great to have you here, Griffin. And uh, you know, I, fir- I first heard your discussion uh, with my friend Buck Johnson over on the Counterflow podcast. And throughout that discussion, uh, I just kept thinking to myself, oh, there's another thing we have in common. Oh, there's another thing we have in common. And at the same time, I was already kind of looking for someone to discuss the UFO issue with overall. And that's also been an interest of yours. So we will get to that discussion. But first, I just want to get a little bit more about your background. So I'll let you pick it up uh, wherever you think it makes the most sense. Uh, but just give us a little bit of your professional background and then kind of get into what eventually led you to UFOs. But of course, there's there's a lot of twists along the way as well as we'll hear. Cool. So yeah, um, I guess for as far as your listeners are interested, because we both have that that libertarian-esque background, um, I come from that kind of field of things. Uh, professionally, I am, like you said, a writer, a newspaper man um, is my preferred term. Um, I'm an editor for a local newspaper here in North Carolina. Um, at the same time, I've also been writing articles for a while. Like you said, I wrote articles for Fee, uh, the Epoch or Epic or Epoch. I'm not sure how you say it, honestly. I say Times. Epoch, but I don't know. Yeah. I've written for the Hoppian. Um, some of those guys, you know, they're all from that same space. And, uh, you know, I also went to grad school for history. So it's kind of like my intellectual interest vein, I, so, I suppose. Um, as far as your listeners are concerned, um, what makes me uh compelling i guess to have on this show is um i'm like a recent convert to orthodox christianity which there are a few of us out there that are doing that these days um 
Yeah, like 50% of my guests. What's going on here? <laughs> yeah, I don't know what the deal is. It's you and me and uh, Buck Johnson and all these guys. Just everyone started talking about Seraphim Rose and Orthodoxy out of nowhere. We put down our, our Rothbard books and our Hoppe books and started reading That's actually pretty accurate. That's fairly accurate. It was a sequence, yeah. And so somehow, by many twists and turns, which I'm sure we're going to discuss, uh, that's kind of how I landed in this very unique former libertarian orthodox christian interesting thing right i mean it has been uh somewhat of a pipeline i, I guess you could say as you, as you and buck discussed uh, I, I have found like it's interesting because to me and I, i've discussed this with a few other people on the show but to me it's it's interesting because a lot of the people that i found myself connecting with in libertarian-ish circles and becoming closer to and, and sort of finding a kinship with um in the last few years because there was a lot of divides in in the libertarian realm um as as you as i'm sure you are well aware um and the people i find myself associating with only later on do I find out that they were also going through some sort of um, process where they're becoming Orthodox Christians or they already were. And I didn't really know that. And I just find it to be, you know, more, it, it, uh, maybe it's a coincidence, uh, but it seems like an awful lot of coincidences for someone w- who didn't know a single Orthodox Christian two or three years ago. Um, so you, of course you can speak on that in, in terms of your own journey, but I'm just curious overall why it seems that the events of the last two years have certainly pushed people in different directions in some ways. And some of those ways have been to become uh, more serious about religion, whether it's orth- orthodoxy or just, you know, finding, finding their own path, whatever it may be. Yeah, I'm not entirely sure what is happening. Um, like I talk to a lot of my friends at church all the time about like what brought them to church. And everyone has a very unique and very different story. And like the things that that grab people and draw them to the church are completely different for everyone. I mean, there's a little bit of overlap, you know, with say someone like me and Buck, because we both had a general interest in like libertarian philosophy and economics, and then somehow at the same time. We just happen to find Orthodox Christianity at the same, you know, like timeline of studies, basically. Um, I'm not entirely sure what it is because it's not like no one has the same story. Like, like for me in particular, it was a culmination of studying Western history and trying to figure out, you know, what went wrong, where we kind of diverted from the truth and what exactly that truth is. But also like having a i mean what is basically like a mental breakdown when i got out of college and not really understanding what was going on with me but then you know it's the same time like jordan peterson came on the scene and started putting terms to names like i understood like i finally comprehended what nihilism was and what it felt like to be nihilistic and you know for me those kind of weird um twists and turns that were unexpected were what made me explore meaning and purpose but i was also interested in libertarian philosophy and history like theories of history at the exact same time and so it all culminated into one thing whereas you know i know some people that you know they explored paganism and they were like praying to thor and then you know had a weird experience and discovered that the pagan gods were real and then it wasn't you know, as fulfilling and pleasant as they expected it to. And then right. at some point they just kind of like, were like, you know what, maybe I should give Jesus a, a chance and see what happens. And so this thing was nothing like a Marvel comics Thor. <laughs> what is yeah. This? Yeah. It turns out. So it's not, there is no like consistent 
you know, like people talk about the pipeline, the, the libertarian to orthodox Christian pipeline. Like there is a pipeline, but it's got so many twists and turns and unexpected um, anecdotes built into it um, that it's just not it's not like you can just kind of map it on. Like, I'm sure from the outsider's perspective, they're like, oh, they, you know, they read Murray Rothbard, they read Hoppe, and then they read Sarah from Rose and Sarah from Rose likes monarchy. Therefore, it makes sense for a Hoppian to become an Orthodox Christian. It's like, no, it's not that simple. Uh, not even close to that simple. Um, like I read Hoppe in 2000. I mean, I was reading him a little bit in grad school, just like pieces of his work. And then I read uh, Democracy, the God that failed, like right out of grad school. But that had nothing to do with why I started exploring Christianity, you know, three years later. So, I mean, there's just a there's a multitude of twists and turns that don't necessarily map on to everyone else's, I guess, what I'm trying to get at. Can you um, ex- dig into a little bit more that existential crisis that you mentioned there after college? Like what what was it that you were going through at the time? Do you think that it was do you think I don't know what college you went to. Do you think like the experience of college actually churned out someone that was more nihilistic and more just, you know, didn't really have purpose in the world because of college at all? Or do you think there was something more under underlying the whole thing? I mean, in a sense, yeah. Like I went to a small regional college uh, in North Carolina. Um, And I mean, like for me, like I, I mean, I don't have like, I didn't really have much of a Christian upbringing is what I, told buck which isn't entirely true like my grandparents both my grand maternal grandparents are presbyterian um, my paternal grandparents uh you know were southern baptists my grandfather though i didn't meet him was a deacon at his church uh my paternal grandmother taught sunday school but like for me my parents are both of that kind of contemporary christian field of people who just like their religion is a is a personal experience for them like they don't they don't have to go to church because god's everywhere and the expectations of what you do as a Christian is very much kind of like what you, how you live your life. And beyond that, it's not really like, it's not everything. It, there's kind of a distrust in organized religion because I mean, anyone who stepped foot in a Protestant church knows that it's full of gossip and just kind of general non-Christian behavior, which was my experience growing up. So when I went into college, I wasn't thinking about purpose or meaning. Mm-hmm. Um, I got slapped in the face real hard with, the reality of meaninglessness uh, after I got out of school. But I mean, college didn't prepare me to be that person. In fact, it kind of gave me an early experience of what it means to have no meaning. Hmm. Like as a grad student, I mean, a lot of what I studied was Marxist and postmodern, you know, theories of history. And so everything that I experienced in college was based on this whole, everything is subjective. But I realized that, unfortunately, in the academic world, everything's subjective except for your opinion if they don't agree with it. And <laughs> right, so I was right. like, "What?" I was like, "How does this work? Like, if there is no objective truth, how are you in a position to tell me that I'm wrong or right?" And it drove me insane. Like, it frustrated me to no end when I was in college. Um, and eventually, it was the reason I left. I was like, "Okay, I'm not meant for this place um, because I do believe in an objective truth." You know, there has to be some kind of objective truth. And in my opinion, it was whatever I thought it was. I thought it was a libertarian theory of history or whatever, Mm -hmm. which was equally nonsensical. But that was my perspective. And I couldn't really grapple with the whole everything subjective. I mean, later I found out that the reason that the academic institutions are so favorable, this idea of subjectivity is because it allows them to keep their jobs. (laughs) Right. Because 
every year you can have new professors roll in and they can destroy the work of their former professors and go, ha ha, they weren't actually right. I'm right. Now my book is the new book that's going to sit and maintain this, you know, place in the, uh, the canon of whatever intellectual thought they're looking at. And then they just get replaced a couple years later down the road. But there's also like, they're all narcissistic. And so they, they have these, these, they put up these walls and these gates. So you can't actually tackle any of the problems uh, that are going on in academia. It's like, you have to go, you show up as a, as a student, you, you shed yourself of any wild interests you might have in writing a great new book on world war two or, you know, the gulags or the Holocaust or pick whatever major topic. And they're like, find something small, find something obscure and irrelevant and write a book that won't step on anyone's toes because that's how you can get in academia without pissing anyone off. And then once you're in, then you can take on the big subjects. But it didn't matter because it's all subjective nonsense anyway. But so I was like, I can't like this is the most insane bureaucratic institution ever. It's like professors basically just haze their students uh, and make them go through like unnecessary hoops just to survive the programs. It's like I was reading like three books a week on top of like multiple articles, having to write papers on all of them. It's like you didn't really have any time to digest anything anyway, but it didn't matter. I mean, the whole thing was insane. Do you think it just becomes um, I, something where they they get into this position of power and now it's like, all right, can can you pass my can you get through my rigorous coursework, no matter what the meaning behind any of that? There's no meaning anyway. So, you know, I guess there is no matter to the meaning of it. I mean, some of it was like that. There's definitely professors in the academic setting that just like thrive on just kind of abusing their students and making them go through great lengths to prove themselves worthy. And they kind of just weed out who they want. Because that's what I mean, that's what academia is. When you apply for a professorship, you have to have the unanimous decision of your department to get the job. So you have to be friendly to get in. Mm. And I was never one to be friendly. Like my professors, by the time I left, hated me, um, which is my own fault. Uh, I should have just kept my mouth shut, but I didn't know how to. But I had a a some of us aren't wired that way, you know? Yeah, yeah. It's the libertarian thing. But uh, I have a family, we'll call him a family friend. Um, Some of my sister knew who was a professor. I won't say where he was a professor at a very, very top intellectual college, like not Ivy league, but basically considered to be Ivy league. And he told me, cause it, uh, my sister gave me his number and was like, call him and talk to him about, you know, your plans for school. And I called him and I was like, um, you know, this is what I like. This is what I like to study. You know, what do you think my odds are of getting into any of these colleges? And he goes, honestly, you know, you might get into a PhD program, but they'll never put you in their departments because you're a white guy writing about dead white men and they think that's problematic. So unless you want to start writing about, you know, other subjects, which you're not qualified to do because you're a white man. Right. You can't, you, you no can't vote. write about dead black men because then you're writing from a position of, of privilege or yeah. what have you. Right. And so he's like, you basically have no future in academia and you need to just can it. You know, like you just don't have any other choices. And he's like, you can you can look at the IHS, which is the inner uh, what is it, the Institute of Humane Society or whatever. It's just like a Koch brother, um, Cato ish kind of intellectual foundation. It's like basically like you know Beltway libertarian academics. So you can look at them and you can try to find grants, but don't count on much. And so that was the reason I like left college in a state of um, in a state of panic, really, because I was like, okay, I spent all this time going to school. I've got seven years worth of debt. And what I thought was going to be my purpose in life to be a professor and a a writer 
is now gone. And I'm like working at this legal firm and I hate it. And like everyone around me is miserable. Like they, they summon people, you know, once a month for birthdays and everyone stands around eating cake, talking about, you know, how, uh, how bad the insurance is and how they can't get the antidepressants they need. And they want to work from home because they're miserable, but they won't allow it. And I'm just like, I got to get out of this place. And I just kind of snapped. I mean, like just completely like snapped. Um, and that was kind of like my, my, my introduction to nihilism and wondering, you know, like, what's the point of any of this? Because if there is no point to any of this, then what's the point of suffering at all? And then you get the whole Schopenhauer idea of like, well, if the point of, if there is no point to life, then, you know, the, what Schopenhauer and others argued was you should just kill yourself. And I was just sitting there like, okay, I'm too afraid to do that. And so was Schopenhauer. <laughs> So there's got to be something else. And so I'm like sitting around thinking about nihilism. I started studying the existentialists. You know, I started reading Dostoevsky and Camus and Nietzsche and everyone else. And it was just kind of like a never ending spiral of just trying to find answers and never finding answers. I mean, the closest I got to answers was Dostoevsky, but I didn't really realize it at the time. But that was just kind of like, that's what college did for me is it opened a gateway. Um, for me to hit rock bottom and then to wonder about all these things, which I would have never thought about if I had just, you know, gotten a professor. I mean, I might've figured it out eventually, but if I'd gotten a professorship and just spent my life being a Lewis and Clark historian, which is kind of what I wanted to do. It's like, what would I have, what would I have done with my life? You know, I would have sat there in an, in an office and had my one pet subject until some young kid came and told me I was wrong. And that's life of an academic. It is a theme that I, I see a lot with uh, people that I talk to on this show, particularly, but in general, that sometimes people need to almost either hit rock bottom in some way or 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 see so much lack of meaning in their lives that they then go and find the meaning um, because there really are when you get to that rock bottom point. I mean, there really are only two options. You you find something better and find a better pathway to get yourself out of it or or you know or that, or it's over but you know hopefully luckily you and a lot of other people aren't aren't just you know calling it over because there is the errors i think there is that idea of even behind nihilism if you embrace the concept of nihilism you embrace that uh all of the suffering that there is in life has no meaning behind it at all then sure I, it makes sense to just take your own life uh but what if you're wrong <laughs> and if yeah, and if you have yeah. no meaning in life there's a decent chance you're wrong so you know it's it's a it's a hell of a predicament but I'm glad that you uh, you ended up taking something positive out of all that. Yeah, and it took a while too. I mean, like, and you know what I mean by this, but there's a like people fill the void of meaning with things like politics, and yep. so it was a matter of being like, okay, the new plan in life is to pay attention to these other subjects and to be right about them, and then that meant bouncing from different philosophers and different economic writers and different historians, and then trying to find the new thing. And like a lot of us, I think this is where the libertarian pipeline comes in is a lot of us were just bouncing from writer to writer and being like, oh, man, wait until you read this next guy and then you'll understand life. But when you get to the next writer and then you find out that there's more writers you need to read and then it never actually gives you any fulfillment and meaning. And so that was what I was basically doing as a libertarian. I was sitting around reading, you know, I was reading Mises and then I was reading Rothbard and then I was reading Hoppe and then you know, Hoppe was great and I could be a Hoppian, but I'm losing the battle as a Hoppian. And so I'm like, okay, well, there's no meaning in this either. I have no political power, which is kind of what Moldbug revealed to all of us. 
And so I started reading some of the NRX stuff and that didn't really get me anywhere either. It was just like, okay, it's just affirming how I feel about the world. I'm not insane. There is this kind of weird cathedral directing things, you know, preventing me from partaking in, in any kind of form of society um, because I don't agree with the direction it's going. I'm pushing against a current that's not going to stop moving. And I started reading like Ernst Jünger was another one of like the big, you know, intellectuals that came out of the NRX movement. People started reading Ernst Jünger. And I, I forgot to talk about this on Buck Show, but one of the books that I read by Ernst Jünger was called The Forest Passage. Um, and it was a book that he wrote during his kind of humanist Christian phase during or right after World War II. And it was essentially Christian philosophy without explicitly being Christian. And that was kind of a thing that opened me up to like, okay, maybe I should explore Christianity a little bit. Um, like Ernst Jünger uh, very often spoke about the need for the return of mythology and human civilization. It's like we had lost the truth that's that's maintained and preserved in myths mm. and that there needs to be something new, which is kind of, I mean, it's a Nietzschean idea and that's what Jünger kind of considered himself a Nietzschean. Um, trying to create this new system of being and this new system of understanding the world and this new system of purpose, which is basically what the spoke Zarathustra is about and all these other ideas. And so, you know, on, I was kind of inching my way closer and closer away from libertarianism and more towards focusing primarily on existential matters, you know, reading books about purpose and meaning and trying to find what that is. And anyone who goes down that rabbit hole, um, you inevitably come to the crossroads that is Christianity and you either dive in or you don't dive in. And that's kind of inevitably where I, where I landed. All right. Why don't you take me a little, little bit further down the pathway here, where along the way did your own, uh, personal interest in UFOs crop up here? And, uh, obviously they do intersect at some point that we'll get to, but I mean, for me, like I, I was fascinated by this stuff since I was a kid. Like I fashioned myself my own little Fox Mulder, um, over the years. And I, I really always saw the UFO thing, at least when I was younger as like, oh yeah, us rebels, we know about the aliens. We know what they're hiding from us. And only when I was older and I was able to look back and be like well all right the x-files was on fox um time magazine published that book that i got on ufos as a kid that got me so interested in it all of all of the information i got about it was from these mainstream sources that i now see as the you know the most evil things on the planet so where how does this all all work out but how did how did that sort of work out for yourself when it came to your interest in ufos so UFOs is kind of weird because I, it's not something that was ever like a pet conspiracy theory of mine growing up. Um, like I remember explicitly, like I took an astronomy class in high school and my teacher, uh, Miss Oshinsky, I don't know why I remember, still remember her name, but she, for whatever reason, like one of the last days of class, she put on an episode of Ancient Aliens and it was the one about the Nazis. And to this day, I have no idea why she made us watch that episode. And I just remember thinking, wow, this is the weirdest. That was in an astronomy episode. class? I've, yeah. <laughs> it's just it's just in the middle of astronomy class. Welcome she was, to like, public like, school, everybody. Test. Yeah. She like threw on uh, Ancient Aliens Nazi episode talking about like the, the creation of the bell and uh-huh. Hitler's interest in occultism and all this, you know, crazy stuff. And, and the connection between, you know, Operation Paperclip and NASA and all this, you know, Nazis and trying to link Nazis and UFOs. And I was just sitting there like bemused. I was like, wow, this is the wildest thing ever. And I was like, it's almost mildly convincing. And then, you know, I went to college, you know, the next year 
and was a history student and everyone just kind of made fun of ancient aliens. It was like the entire history department just kind of joked about ancient aliens. It's like, that's what the history channel has become. It's just, it's just aliens and pawn stars. And like, so I just started making fun of, you know, the UFO alien show too. And then out of nowhere, it's like 2017 rolled in and the New York times drops their, you know, their black budget UFO program article uh, with Ralph Blumenthal and Leslie Kane about the ATIP, the Advanced Aerospace, um, Advanced Aerospace Identification Threat Program, or whatever it's called, and how the Pentagon has basically been funding this black budget program to study UFOs, despite the fact that it's been a taboo subject for anyone to discuss for years. And then, lo and behold, a few months later, Netflix releases the Bob Lazar uh, and Flying Saucers uh, documentary that uh, I can't even remember his name. Now I'm thinking about it. Um, he was on the Rogan Show, but. Um, I've seen Liz- I know you're talking you know, about. Yeah, it's Lazar and the, the other guy whose name I also can't I, remember. I don't know why I'm drawing a blank on his name. I was just thinking about him. Uh, he's gone on a couple times. Like he's gone on the show with George Knapp and everyone else. But there was just like this shift in popular culture with looking at UFOs again. Um, and not only just looking at UFOs, but like the government was acknowledging that UFOs were a thing and they were telling everyone and then no one cared. Right. And so this was all happening at the exact same time that I was. Um, like looking for meaning and going through my existential crisis and like in the middle of my existential crisis, I like came to the realization that we don't have as much control over our own thoughts as we think we do. Um, because I mean, like anyone who's ever had intrusive thoughts knows you can't make them stop. They just keep flooding your mind and they don't go away until, you know, eventually they just go away or they don't. And then people act on those crazy thoughts. And so I'm like, well, or you can about, do what I do. And I, I now tell them to fuck off and it's, it's <laughs> yeah. no, you know, that might not be the, actually what you're supposed to do, but it's, it tends to work for me. <laughs> it's definitely an option. Um, and those, some people don't realize that. Um, but I was just kind of like going through this, like, okay, UFOs, lack of control of thoughts. Like, what is, what does all this mean? And it's not like the UFO thing is not just like this one piece of, you know, information. It's like, it's all wrapped up in like occultism and meditation and, uh, you know, all these other spiritual modes of thinking and practicing. Um, I don't even know what to call it. It's just like a weird existential mode of being. And I was just very interested in what people were talking about, how they saw things. And so I started reading, um, like I started reading books by Richard Dolan, who's like one of the few UFO people that I trust to not tell me a bunch of BS. Um, I mean, if you look at the UFO field, it's just full of like schizophrenics and once normal people gone insane. Like you can, you can look at old reputable um, journalists who, you know, at some point started covering the UFO field. And now their hair's all, gone, fucking all wacky. Oh, and man. Like, yeah, there's a look. There's certainly a look that goes along with it there's a look and their eyes are just like perpetually dilated and they just look insane at all times. And you're like, how did that person go from an award-winning journalist in the eighties to like, you know, they're like at every UFO event, just like spouting the most insane nonsense ever. And it's because it's a, it's a rabbit hole full of misinformation and insane things. And it makes people do crazy things and they get involved in all these weird occult practices to try to experience things more than what they're getting. Um, like the new theme uh, you see a lot of celebrities doing it with Dr. Stephen Greer, which is a CE5 um, Close Encounters of the Fifth Kind, which is their 
attempt to contact UFOs. And you've got all these crazy celebrities like Demi Lovato sitting out in the desert in circles with Dr. Stephen Greer trying to contact UFOs. And it's just like all of this is happening at the exact same time that I'm like questioning my own sanity and my own, you know, uh, mind basically. And it allowed me to realize that like there's more to the there's more to the world than the material world and there are things that can i guess interfere with you know human consciousness and human productivity i guess is the best way to look at it and then that made me wonder about like demons and things like that and so i just kind of all of those ideas kind of came together at once um and I didn't really know what to do with it. I wasn't like, while I was reading about Christianity, I wasn't thinking specifically about like, how does this relate to the UFOs? It just all kind of came together at once. Um, yeah. I mean, it's, it's, it's hard to, to definitively narrow down with a timeline. Yeah. So I, I imagine at some point, um, I, I don't know if it was on your dive through UFOs or your dive into orthodoxy and Christianity. Where along there did you intersect? Because for me, I, I came in, I, I read Seraphim Rose's uh, book about, uh, I always forget the title, but it's the New World Religion book. Um, yeah. And he mentions UFOs in there as a part of it. And then I found Father Spirit on Bailey's book called The UFO Deception. And I know you've read, read those as well. And the, the uh, what stood out to me in that book is I was expecting just by the title alone someone to come in and just debunk everything as, as sort of just to to brush it aside he actually sort of does the opposite he he embraces a lot of the tales of abduction um, a lot of the stories he doesn't really try to poo-poo that they happen to these people um, and even relates it to uh, more ancient accounts of such things and kind of shows us that a lot of this stuff with abductions maybe we're looking at it as spaceships in the modern context because we've been bombarded with media telling us that our space brothers are on the way, whether it's ET or close encounters or, you know, whatever it may be, um, all of this media that we've seen has told us, yes, this is alien. So then we, when these abductions phenomenon happen, uh, we go, must be aliens. But this sort of stuff has happened throughout history um, way before we thought about spaceships or, or anything like that. Um, so where did you first sort of, where, where along your journey did you get into this part of the deep end, I guess you would say, the Seraphim Rose, yeah. um, Spirit on Bailey part of the deep end that ties all of this into a lot of what, in other ways, you were already looking into, um, you know, the world government, Marxism. There, There's connections everywhere here. Right. Yeah. So I, like I was, when I first started getting into Christianity and like studying, uh, like I had to read the Bible to understand Western civilization. And so I started, I was like, okay, well, I'm not going to trust the Protestants because they're, I mean, they're, they're countries older than Protestant theology. And so I was like, I'm going to, I'm going to try the Catholics. Cause I didn't really know much about Orthodox, you know, I didn't know much about the Orthodox church or theology at that time. And so while I was like reading um, the Bible and I was like watching a lot of like, catholic youtube stuff um at some point like the whole time you know the ufo thing was always like in the back of my mind i'm like okay but what does this mean like how does this ufo stuff fit into human history with christianity because if if i have this inkling that christianity's got some kind of hidden truth to it as well and then also there's ufos someone somewhere has had to have talked about these things before right and if you watch ancient aliens or any of those other shows it's like you know apparently ufo has been flying in and out of time and space for forever like we've always had these things they've always been here um you know now you have like the new the bro science theories on joe rogan podcast of like 
not only have aliens always been here, but they've been manipulating our DNA and they're essentially responsible for the creation of human beings. And you have all these crazy theories coming out. And so I was like, all right, someone has to have an answer for what's going on. And, you know, I prefer it would, you know, I want to know what the Christians have to think. Um, and I knew that there were some Christian ufologists that I, I mean, they sweat even it's like everyone else in that UFO field is kind of odd and they just kind of rub you the wrong way. And you can just kind of get a general feel for like, I don't trust this person at all. And then at some point, um, I mean, my, my interest in history required that I encounter the Orthodox church. And then at the exact same time, I stumbled across, um, a review of Sarah from Rose's book, not the root of revolution of the modern age on Lou Rockwell's website. And so there was like, the there's the pipeline of libertarianism. <laughs> yeah, there's the pipeline. And so I was like, all right, I'll read that. I'm interested in nihilism. I'm interested in, um, Christianity. You know, this guy's a, uh, I didn't even know he was an Orthodox monk at the time. I like found out after I got it and I read the book and I think in the end of the conclusion, it mentions orthodoxy and the religion of the future. And I was like, okay, I'll read that too. And so I grabbed a copy and I was like flipping through the table of contents and like chapter six or whatever, seven is about UFOs. And I'm like, Oh, there's Didn't someone that's that written about there, huh? UFOs. Yeah. And I know, I knew I had a book. It's still sitting in my Amazon wish list. I think it was a book that was written a couple of years ago by a couple of Catholic priests about UFOs. And it was basically just like what it will mean for Christianity. If aliens arrive and they had this very like, I mean, they were basically basically just pro alien, like the aliens are going to come and they're going to affirm that Christ is Lord. And we're just going to kind of, he all came to our planet together. too. <laughs> yeah. I don't know what they thought was going to happen, but that was basically what the book, um, that I, I, you know, I read like reviews, basically what it was claiming. And I was like, that seems kind of far-fetched. Um, especially if these things have always been here. Um, and so I started reading, uh, Orthodox and religion of the future. And I was super uh, surprised that, like you said, Sarah from Rose takes, uh, he looks at the UFO phenomenon like he doesn't like, you know, just miss, he doesn't just shoot it away and go, they're not real. They're demons. Ignore. He like goes and details the entirety of, of UFO history as it existed in the 1970s, which is far more thorough than some UFO books are today. And I was like, how did this like monk living in Northern California have this much access to like, like correct ufologists, like historical narrative. Right. Like he, he went through Roswell. He went through, um, project blue book. He like talked about J Allen Hynek and he talked about, uh, Jacques Vallée and all these, you know, ufologists and, and writers that are still very like famous today. And I'm like, how did this guy, like, I didn't know about this stuff. Like, you know, a couple of years ago and he knew about it in the 1970s and like had nothing but access to like a library. Um, and so I was very interested in the fact that he knew as much as he did. And then his, his, um, you know, his answer was look at patristic theology. If you want to know what, what to make of this, because the church fathers have never been silent on what is happening here. And he, he briefly detailed basically the patristic outlook on what, you know, flying saucers and flying apparitions are. And I was like, wow, that's kind of it's crazy, but it's also like, it makes total sense. And so then I got a hold of spirit and Bailey's, the UFO deception. And he took, basically he took what Sarah from Rose did and went, you know, he took his chapter and turned it into a book length, um, you know, 
work and it's it's the same thing it's it's very well detailed and thought out and explained and it looks at the same subjects of like how we as a culture in the west have basically been prepared to see them as ufos not as anything else whereas if you read the church fathers they've talked about it for thousands of years and they were explicit about what they were and they had never it no at no point did they ever like wonder i wonder what these crazy crafts are they were just like yeah they're demonic or angelic beings that's just what they are um, spo- spoiler the, alert for anyone reading the book it, it is yeah. it's funny because when i was reading the book i mean i i knew it was written by this father and i i had gotten there through you know for through sarah from rose ultimately so i, I kind of had an idea of where it was going to go but it's funny how he he lays it out kind of every chapter he discusses like some aspect of the ufo phenomenon and then he's like i'll get to what they are later and i'm like i'm pretty sure it's going to be demons <laughs> and then then i get yeah. there, like yeah, yeah, they were demons all right but um, yeah, maybe you can speak further on just how this stuff was referenced, even by sort of um, you know, by elders of the church a long time ago. Obviously, they didn't refer to them as flying saucers because that's our modern context. But in what ways was this sort of phenomenon addressed uh, earlier? Yeah, so basically, the way the church fathers have always viewed demonic entities and angelic beings is is their they're entities that occupy what is quote the aerial realm, which is like something I had never heard um, anyone mention, you know, in the context of demons or angels, like in the West, no one even talks about demons and angels. And so you have to kind of like rewire your thinking to understand what they are, um, which the Lord of spirits podcast was, was really helpful with that. But um, it, you have you have to you have to really understand what like the church's understanding of demons and angels is. They're not you know red pants wearing goofy creatures that like hide under your bed. They're like immaterial beings that occupy the air. That they're more like ideas and intelligences rather than you know like physical horned beings that that you know pop in and out of space and time. Um, and so like what Father Spirit and Bailey and what Father Seraphim Rose do is they show you in the patristic writing how the church fathers discussed and writ- and wrote about demons. And they always refer to them as angelic spirits of the air. Mm-hmm. Um, they discuss their movement pattern. Like there's yeah. uh, an entire writing on how that, they that section really blew my mind. Based- I was like, oh yeah, that's exactly what yeah, the, that's what the government officials are out there saying they're doing. Yeah. They're they're immaterial things that that defy physics that can move almost instantaneously, which is what we see UFOs mm-hmm. allegedly doing, according to you know whatever sources you want to get for UFOs these days. But it was basically they, the church fathers were talking about the same thing, and what I'd come to the conclusion was like, okay, regardless of whether you think they're demons or not, what's very clear is that what the church fathers are discussing is what human beings are looking at today and calling ufos they're the exact same subject whether you agree with their assessment or not whether you think they're actually aliens or whatever fine you know they're still talking about the same thing and obviously the church fathers don't have anything positive to say about it but now in the contemporary ufo field it's full of very positive outlooks on you know what these things are doing here if they're like coming to save humanity um you hear a lot of very strange tropes coming out of uh, abductees and people who've had encounters with UFOs. They all, you know, are all talking about one world government and they're all talking about uh, saving the planet and all of these kind of like general, you know, 
There was even that, that Reagan clip uh, from the 80s where he's like, oh, yeah. hey, wouldn't I'm not gonna, I was about to do a Reagan impression. And it wouldn't have worked out. And he's like, hey, wouldn't it be great if, uh, you know, if we had aliens that came in and we all had to unite together under a world government to battle them? Wouldn't that be sweet? <laughs> yeah. And like, for some reason, everyone's kind of ignored the fact that he brought that up. And like, like, oh, that's silly. That, that silly guy always making jokes. I think he said it in two, two different occasions, was, too. Yeah, they just thought he was losing his mind. Um there's like all those conversations about the new world order. Like I was watching a, a YouTube video, another one of those YouTube channels about UFOs that I trust generally. I don't really watch them anymore, but um, he like sh- released a, like a audio clip of Steven Spielberg talking about the time that he went to the white house to show the Reagan administration ET. And apparently after the movie, he just like stood up in front of everyone and was like, there are a lot of people that live in, that are in this room right now that know that that's the truth. And just like, that was it. That's all I had to say. And I'm like, there's all these weird anecdotes of interest in UFOs. And I mean, the UFO thing is just strange because it's, it's a taboo subject that you're not allowed to talk about professionally, but all of a sudden now you can, and you find out that there are tons of people in power who are very interested in them. And so now you have people like John Podesta Mm -hmm. who has his own very shady background, like, showing up he's like your he's your best pal in the in the white house and the executive branch that has kind of access to this information and he wants it to come out but he just can't do it because there has to be the proper channels for information to come out and the the ufo field is just kind of full of these weird stories of people you wouldn't expect to be involved in it they're involved in it the clintons are heavily involved tom DeLong, in it. like when i saw when i saw him involved in it tom DeLong, i was like the blink 182 guy is a ufo enthusiast what is what yeah is and and he's always kind of been that way i mean if you look at their old albums and their old songs i mean yeah. he has like tons of songs like like aliens exist and all these little weird you know i don't know why he's the guy that's been chosen i mean he's kind of fallen from grace he's no longer really involved in the ufo scene he's like back on tour with blink 182 but it's going back to what Sarah from Rose is talking about, about how essentially people have been prepared to embrace the idea of UFOs. That's what Tom DeLong came out and said that his organization was doing um, this to the stars Academy, which was basically a nonprofit pr- uh, public corporation that they were making so that people would feel like they had a particular say in what was going on. But the idea was that they were going to release stories and movies and comics to kind of prepare people for an ultimate disclosure. And this, I mean, this is what Tom DeLong saying and everyone's like, that's insane. What does Blink-182 have to do with aliens? But then his entire board is full of people who used to work for the NSA or the CIA, or, you know, you've got this Lou Elizondo guy who's the former head of ATIP, which is the new article that just came out about the black budget Pentagon program that's been studying UFOs. And it's like, what in the hell is happening? Why are, why is the rock star from Blink-182 involved in disseminating information about ufos and why does he have information why is he privy to information that no one else is and he's like he goes on joe rogan's show in 2016 and he just sounds he sounds like a schizophrenic he's insane and joe rogan's just sitting there like this dude is insane like anyone who watches joe rogan knows that like if he likes your show you make it the full three hours if he thinks you're insane or right, cracked, get like talk to you more than an hour and he cut tom DeLong off at like 55 minutes and i'm like i don't think i've ever seen a podcast that short and then you know like a couple of years later bob lazar's on and uh bob bigelow's on and george knapp is on and all of these people who've been a part of the ufo scene either publicly or behind the scenes are just like coming on joe rogan show and talking about whatever they want to talk about 
Um, you have David, uh, Commander David Fravor come on, and then he kind of gives you like the the naval perspective on UFOs, and everyone is just all of a sudden eating all this content up. And it's interesting because the UFO field has always been something where everyone's always been very cautious of the government. They don't trust the government. You've got the whole men in black theory coming and scaring people who have access to information about UFOs. They're protecting the government's interests, you know, when, within the context of what they know about UFOs. And now every ufologist in the world is just eating up every piece of information that comes out of the government. It's like everything that's come through the New York times is true. Everything that's handed to them from, you know, XYZ and government official is now true. And it, the whole field is just full of conflicting information and conflicting stories. But like you said, and like, um, like Sarah from Rose and father spirit and Bailey have said, like the only reason we view them as UFOs is because we've been conditioned to do that, whether it's through science fiction and movies or through contemporary philosophies and contemporary science. So like what, um, father spirit and Bailey devotes an entire chapter of his book to is discussing how the only reason we think they're aliens is because of the theories of evolution, mm -hmm. because yeah. it's, we're expecting that there's somewhere else in the galaxy that, um, has advanced faster than us and has, you know, made the capabilities to travel to earth from wherever they're from. Right. If we only exist because of a, a bunch of random, uh, random mutations happening over and, and just happen to work out that we, we live on this planet. We were able to develop into life all through random chance, then through that lens, it does make sense that if there are just bajillions of galaxies and bajillions of planets, then somewhere out there, of course, that that same, this percentage wise, that same random chance is going to produce more creatures of some kind, I guess. Right. And the problem with that is that the, the United States, um, the, through a program called SETI, which Carl Sagan was heavily involved with, which Father Spirit and Bailey writes about this as well, has been sending out essentially radio signals into space for the last 40 years and they haven't received word from anything. And so there is nothing no coming calling from back. It's so sad. No one's calling back Hubble, you know, Hubble can zoom in on, you know, pick whatever planet you want, whatever galaxy and it can see, you know, see things very clearly, but they've never, they've never found anything out in, in, in space. There's just nothing out there. Nothing. No one's calling back. They're not finding anything. They're not seeing anything. And so, that's led some ufologists like Jacques Vallée to, to basically they've concluded that whatever it is, it's, it's local, it's local to earth. And, you know, what I thought was interesting is I've read Jacques Vallée's work. So he has a book called the invisible college. And he talks about basically his assessment of the UFO phenomenon is that it's, it's, it's always happened. Like it's always been here throughout human history and that, these things whatever they are and he doesn't think they're material because they the fact that they defy physics prohibits them from being material objects they can't be aliens from far off galaxies because they wouldn't physically be able to travel that fast or that far and so he's concluded that it's a it's a basically a psychological phenomenon that shows up at random points of periods in time and has always done it and that every time it shows up it kind of changes human direction mm. kind of like 2000 the premise of 2001 space odyssey uh, with the monoliths right. showing up they show up to alter the course of humanity it's kind of that that um forced evolution sort of idea right and the whole time i'm sitting there reading this book and i'm like i'm like how hard is it for you just to like just accept the fact that demonology might be like a fair 
you know, perspective of, of applying on top of this. Like if you think if you like if you think about what Jack Vallée is writing, he's writing that there is a parapsychological, you know, phenomenon occurring coming in and out of space and time and in manipulating human beings to behave certain ways. And like that's literally what the church fathers have always said demons are. Like it's literally the same thing, but, but, but you can't say that because then you sound like some crazy fundamentalist Christian who like, you know, is because, you know, that's what, that's what nihilism has done is it's kind of wiped away any, any Christian truth, you know, any, any, you're not allowed to have that, hold those perspectives anymore. It's, it's taboo or backwards to think things are Christian because it's not, it's not caught up with the progress of contemporary times. It's not on foot with science. They think that's just old ways of thinking that explain things that we now know what science can explain. Whereas someone like you might see it as the opposite. Like now science is trying to re-explain stuff that we had actual explanations for, for thousands of years. Yeah. Well, science doesn't really offer much of anything because science is ever changing, which is, you know, which has been funny to a lot of us to see that lately, but uh, the whole trust the science movement has kind of, well, one, no one seems to want to trust the science when it's time to trust the science. But two, if you trusted the science a hundred years ago or, you know, 75 years ago, you would be a, you would be a Nazi or you would be a communist. So that's where trusting the science gets you. And people forget that too. Like, like Hitler's entire, um, the Einsatzgruppen, which is the 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 paramilitary units that he tacked on to the Wehrmacht when he invaded um, Eastern Europe, they were full of PhD scientists. They were all you know geneticists and psychologists and just scientific geniuses. And those are the people that were going around mass murdering people. Um, it's just kind of people people have a very um, high opinion of science, but science is ever changing. And that's kind of what Sarah from Rose came to conclusion. What he was studying is there's no actual, there's no definitive truth in the sense that without God, you can really understand anything. And science is really, it's only use is to manipulate or it's to give human beings power over nature. That's all science is more about utility than it is about, you know, actually revealing truth, which you see now, like people with John Bervakey is science can tell you things, but it can't give you meaning. And that's, you know, that's like the big crisis of today. I'm curious to what extent you think that, you know, like a lot of people now are like, like you're talking about Spiridon Bailey, even Jack Vallee are implying that these are immaterial things. They're not necessarily physical objects. At the same time, I do wonder sometimes, um, cause I've seen some weird stuff. I, I, I have at least one that I would call was a UFO experience. And even that, it definitely did a thing that I didn't think a thing could do. So maybe that was an immaterial thing. But you see other reports of things that do seem like more like physical objects. And then you also hear some reports of, you know, a lot of which may be speculative about actually capturing of Nazi technologies, things like the Nazi bell um, that may have some weird technology that actually is a physical object. And I wonder, and maybe that is still a demonic influence of sorts because all, a lot of people that create these technologies, they openly talk about trying to channel demons and channel, they might not call them demons, but trying to channel spirits, trying to connect to something else that inspires their ideas for these technologies. So I'm curious to what extent you think there might actually be physical objects as well that maybe get mixed in with all this that are that maybe are actual technologies that are worked on by governments in secret. 
Yes. Yeah, I mean, that's hard to tell. Um, like Spirit and Bailey talks about in his book is like it, there's a it's hard to determine what you see as a demonic, you know, entity flying around the sky and then what could just be government technologies flying around the space because you never really know what government technology capabilities are um, until they're already out. So like, you know, if you go to an air show, they always have like high tech planes and they're all covered up by tinfoil because they don't want people to see inside the cockpit. And it's like, whatever that is, is not whatever is like hidden behind closed doors at area 51 or whatever, because if it was, they probably did that one 20 years earlier. Right. Like technology is always like 30 years ahead of what, what they've shown and revealed. So, you know, who knows what capabilities the government has and what they're doing and how they're using those, uh, craft to kind of mess with people. Um, and according to people who are whistleblowers and, you know, former government officials that the government is doing that and that they have been kind of using the UFO phenomenon or story to kind of play, uh, play on, just play with human beings and and play with citizens. And they've been doing it for forever. And it's hard to say, I mean, like, I don't know, like it's, it's interesting to me that the Nazis were interested in, uh, anti-gravity propulsion systems and they tried to build their own UFO and, it's weird to me that the entire um, apparatus of not Nazi scientists was basically divided between the Soviet Union and the United States or with NASA. I mean, like that; those are very strange phenomenons that don't necessarily they don't really give anyone anyone closer to the truth. But it adds all these different layers of of confusion, and so it's you know, like I said, it's hard to determine what you saw, you know, was it a UFO or was it some crazy government craft? I don't know. Um, the church fathers would tell you to stop looking in the sky for signs and just to kind of keep your head down. Um, which is what I advise most people, especially with regard to this topic. I, this is not a rabbit hole. I ever recommend anyone go down. Um, like when, when people ask me, I'm like, read this book, read this book, and then don't, don't play around with it anymore because it, you'll end up like one of those crazy um journalists you'll have that look in your eyes yeah like the the ufo experts yeah you, <laughs> your hair will be frazzled <laughs> you'll definitely have bl- glasses that are too big uh probably a, an ill-fitting suit jacket um yeah I, i'm curious also to what extent you see like like someone like um a bob lazar for example like i don't really know the truth about him i mean i i i, I waffle back and forth between yeah totally just a sort of paid chill kind of guy but there's part of me that does think he seems in some ways genuine. So, and I also wonder to what extent there are people who are purposely exposed to things and then sort of let off the leash and sent out there into the world and say, all right, let them go tell the truth. But is it, is the truth, the truth, or is the truth what they were sort of fed? Have you ever, uh, in your journeys here, have you ever come across like the, the writings of Bill Cooper? Are you, are you familiar with him? I don't think I know who Bill Cooper is. He wrote a book called Behold the Pale Horse. He was sort of like a, a government whistleblower, and he uh, and supposedly there, there's questions about you know his past and everything, so I don't want to dive into all that. Who knows? But um, part of what he laid out in his books, I mean, he laid out all the stuff about the New World Government. He talked, and this was like in the 90s or 80s, that he talked about you know mass shootings that are going to come, we're going to see in schools. He predicted a lot of stuff that, that ended up happening, um, but he also said that when he was in the Navy and U.S. intelligence, um, he saw they he actually saw like ufo devices um like like actual flying saucers and stuff like that but later in his life before he was before he was killed uh he he did kind of recant on the ufo stuff and he started 
to say that he thought he was deceived and he thought he was actually purposely fed information um, by people in order to purport that UFO narrative. So I'm just curious if to what extent you think that that an aspect of this is the government sort of feeding supposed whistleblowers information to further the narrative out there uh, for whatever nefarious purposes I mean, it's very possible. Have. Like I was watching a video the other day about I was maybe like a Harvard professor talking about like the satellite capabilities that the U.S. government has now and how they can essentially facilitate what would appear to be a UFO encounter with a jet pilot. And he was just kind of laughing about how insane it was that people were convinced that UFOs were flying in out of airspace now and interacting with these pilots when he's like, it's it's perfectly within the capabilities of satellite technology to make these things kind of appear and then disappear. So like, like appear on the radar, radar or even just like physically appear. Like you see like the, the work that's being done with like holograms and stuff. And it's like, I mean, I are, is the military sending out these little weird lasers to play around with their pilots and, and, and kind of making them go out and tell all these stories on Fox news or whatever. And then that, because, that makes the pilot credible because he really is telling a real story about a crazy thing. He saw. Yeah. And there's always been, um, claims that, that the government is just kind of slowly filtering out information so that every major, you know, leak of information regarding UFOs that comes out has always been expected and planned is what a lot of, uh, ufologists say now. Um, so like they think that Roswell, was handled exactly the way it was handled for a reason. They they wanted you to get the first news because the first newspaper article that came out of Roswell was there's a flying saucer. And then the next one was, you know, it was a weather balloon and they had this goofy stage photo. And there are people that I think Tom DeLong has said that that they did it that way for a reason. And that they kind of just kind of gradually disseminate information and then they they verify things and then they falsify things and then they leave it so that you have no clear understanding of what's true and what's not true. Um, and like, there are people that think that Bob Lazar is working, you know, essentially for the government and that his story was to go and tell his story. And that's, you know, so people don't trust him either. I mean, it's like I said, it's, there's so many different rabbit holes and there's so much misinformation and there's so much conflicting information that it's literally impossible to actually examine the UFO phenomenon from any perspective and kind of come out sane. And that's why, Uh, the church fathers have always said like, don't like you shouldn't study demons anyway. It's just not like you should know about them. You should be be aware of your enemies basically. But like that shouldn't be your prime focus is what demons are doing. Or even when it comes to UFOs, it's like you shouldn't be spending all of your time wondering about what's going on. You should know, you know, if you look at what the trends are, the larger trend of globalization and what the UFO story is being used to do, whether it's to facilitate, you know, a one world government and to get people interested in occult, uh, occult practices, then just don't do those things and don't worry about everything else. Just kind of focus on yourself, which is one of the main tenets of Christianity. Anyway, it's stop trying to save the world and, and, and focus on yourself because you have your own sins that you need to get in order. But yeah, I mean, like, I don't, Maybe that's I don't what know. it is then. Maybe you just gave me the revelation in my mind, because the reason I've probably been attracted to all those people that are on this path of, of some kind or becoming more Christian or Orthodox Christian or whatever it may be is because my sort of breakaway from libertarianism was, was me being one of the people that were saying, you can't really affect all this stuff. Everything you're trying to do, you're trying to affect the way everybody in the world thinks you're trying to change all of politics when 
not to go to Jordan Peterson, your room is filthy. You know, it's like you yes. take care of yourself, take care of the things you can take care of. And uh, yeah, so maybe it's that aspect of Christianity that I'm just naturally uh, drawn to because that's been my message. Yeah. And there's still people who are like, there's tons of people who are flooding to the church right now. You know, I don't want to like thumb my nose at people or wag my finger, but they're going at it for the, you might go to the church for the wrong reasons. The idea is that you need to stay for the right ones. So there are tons of people who are flooded to the church right now because they're so fed up with the sin that that they're surrounded by. They're so turned off by the amount of sin that is just like rampant in the streets and everyone is just kind of justifying and okay with. And so out of their like just their hatred for the sin, they've gone to the church that will still tell people like this is a sin. Stop doing this. And unfortunately, what you realize is once you get to the church is you realize your sins are, are far worse than everyone else's and you need to actually worry about yourself. Mm. Um, but And that's probably something that everybody is ready to grapple with and not what they came there to grapple with necessarily. No. And that's why, like Father Turbo has talked about this, there's a turnover rate with people who go to church and the people who stay at church and the people who stay at church are the people that focus on their own personal sins. But it, it is an, an actual heresy to try to essentially save the world through means beyond your own repentance and, you know, like simple works. Like you see this new Jordan Peterson. Um, I don't know what it is. Foundation collective that he's trying to start called the arc. I think he released the name. It's called the arc and it's supposed to be like a counteract to like the world economic forum. And it's like, man, you were missing the point. Like that's not how you save the world. You don't save the world by making an anti tower of babbles <laughs> you you do your own things and you repent and you inspire those around you to do the same thing and like rome wasn't conquered by christian troops i mean depending on how you look at this rome wasn't taken over and became and became a christian uh, empire through conquest it became a christian empire through the blood of martyrs and through the basic works of simple people. And so you have this kind of new interest in, in Christianity as a whole. And you see this a lot, um, not to bash the Catholic friends, but you see it a lot with Catholics. They see the Catholic church as a, the true form of power in the world. And so their goal is like, okay, if I, that power apparatus, and then we work together, we can eradicate the world of sin and bad behavior or whatever, which is like the new, strange phenomenon of like Christian nationalism and, and all this other, you know, crazy talk, but it, it is a, it is a heresy that was condemned in the second ecumenical council, uh, Kiliasm, the idea that you can make the world, you know, a, a, a utopia, which it was a heresy back then. The idea that Christ would come to earth and there would be a thousand year reign and peace and prosperity for the world. That is reserved, according to the church fathers in the church, for the world to come, which will come after Christ's second, um, you know, second coming. But you know, I'm starting to go down different tangents and different rabbit holes. No, that's so. all, that, that's this. This shows all about uh, tangents and rabbit holes. I might even rename it that someday. Uh, <laughs> one more thing, I want to just get your thoughts on before we wrap up. Sort of, we'll jump into the smoke-filled room uh, for the old premium subs that keep this ship going. But uh, I, I'm just kind of curious where you think some of this stuff, because 
Uh, you know, a, a former guest, not a former guest, a guest uh, who appeared back in episode seven, Dexter De La Paz. He kind of he's been following this stuff for a long time, and he said, you know, actually, this disclosure thing isn't that new. We actually go through cycles of disclosure every like twenty years or so. Um, so maybe this is just the latest iteration of that. Uh, but to me, as someone who's been like looking at this stuff since I was a kid, it does seem like there is a a whole new level of this like government officials coming out. Even like uh, a few weeks ago, they were saying they shot down UFOs, shot down unidentified, unidentified flying objects it seems like more than ever the actual powers that be are playing into the narrative as much as possible so i'm just curious if you see this going somewhere to the point of they're actually going to have an alien invasion or a fake alien invasion or aliens that arrive as our friends our space brothers anything like that do you think they're going to go that extreme with it or do you think it's just going to be something that continues to be sort of dangled out there yeah like the project blue beam um i don't know i i mean something has definitely changed the narrative has definitely shifted. It's no longer this weird, you know, taboo backroom thing that you can't talk about. Now everyone's talking about UFOs. When the New York Times puts out an article about UFOs, you can now speak freely about UFOs. You have you have academics that are now studying the phenomenon in a way that was not available to them, you know, 20 years ago. But as far as whether I think this is just going to be just this little brief episode of somewhat disclosure not really and then it's just going to kind of fizzle away and go away i i'm tending to think that it's going to lead to something bigger i don't know if it's going to be project blue beam but i i'm very skeptical about things right now it seems like i i just like all this talk about ufos flying over war zones mm-hmm. all this talk about shooting down ufos i just don't think they're going to be able to keep this whole like benign narrative rolling for that much longer they're gonna have to start putting out they're gonna have to start showing more things you gotta see some aliens come on yeah it's not gonna be enough just to be like you know we shot down a ufo and then everyone's gonna start asking like okay well what'd you do with it and what'd you do with the technologies because if if you've always had them or you never had them you've got them now so where are they and it's gonna I mean, if it's if the if the countries are not on the same page, it's going to it's going to start causing conflicts between countries because you're going to have countries that have capabilities, uh, technological capabilities, which if you watch any of these, you know, like Bob Lazar claimed, like it was a travesty to the scientific community that the government had this access to this this technological capabilities that could basically save the world. And they were just sitting on it, not doing anything. And so eventually people are going to start freaking out and demanding uh, more more information and more proof that that whatever is happening is actually happening. I don't know how it's going to play out. I try not to think about it because I I do think like for me personally, I think that the UFO issue is going to be one of the most compelling and luring, you know, false um events, I guess you could say, in the future that will kind of lure people away from the truth and kind of get them to work collectively towards these these global um moves the new world order and all that stuff yeah i mean i've joked before like you know if you thought being yelled at for not wearing a mask was bad just wait till karen's yell at you for not respecting our alien overlords like you know there's gonna be a divide there's gonna be people that say you have to respect and love the aliens and then other people that say they're demons and they're you know i this it's it's gonna be COVID all over again only with something else that's hopefully yeah. a, a joke more than it is or it becomes a reality but 
We'll see. Yeah, fingers crossed. Yep. Well, Griffin, it's been a blast uh, chatting with you. Uh, we will chat a little bit more in the smoke-filled room. We'll see if we can get even weirder than we got here on the main show. Uh, but as we wrap up, why don't you just uh, feel free to plug away on anything and everything you got going on? Uh, I don't really have much to plug. Um, I'm kind of floating in between project ideas, which I'm always doing. Uh, if anyone's interested, they can follow me on Twitter, um, at Newspaper Maine. Um, and that's basically it. There's really nothing to follow. I have deleted all my social media. I'm just tired of looking at it. So that's it. All right. Well, Griffin Daughtry, really appreciate you coming on. Thanks so much. And thanks for coming on my show. Thanks. All right, kids. I hope you enjoyed my conversation with Griffin Daughtry. We really got into some wild areas as far as the UFO issue is concerned, but we dug even deeper in the smoke-filled room bonus segment that is available in the extended premium edition for all subscribers of the Mark Claire Show on any of my subscriber platforms. Patreon, uh, Rockfin. I am working on getting Apple Podcasts set up. Uh, it's just a pain for some reason. I'm having an issue. So if you work at Apple, let me know. I could use your help. Uh, but we will get that one going at some point here uh subscribe star you get all the links over at markclair.com you get extended versions of each and every episode including the monthly mark's musings which will be released by the time this episode airs as well where i give my insider thoughts my behind the scenes look so to speak at the mark claire show and preview what things are to come and whatnot so that being said really hope you enjoyed this conversation come in next week because i have got a hell of a lineup ahead for you. I don't even know if I want to reveal it all. I do. Of course, I want to reveal it all because if you are a subscriber to the show, you can get these episodes right now. You can hear next week's conversation with Tommy Sammons breaking down the ESG issue and how it ties into the greater spiritual war. And then I'm going to announce it. I can announce it because it already happened. It's already recorded for episode 25, a big milestone episode. Jim Brewer, comedian Jim Brewer. If you're my age, you probably know him from movies like Half-Baked. Uh, but the last couple of years, he's become really outspoken, especially uh, with the rise of COVID and everything. He refused to play uh, to play arenas and play arenas, uh, clubs or what have you that required the stabby wabby and has been very outspoken on a number of issues, including really getting into a lot of spiritual matters, which we discuss in that interview. So all of that is currently available for the paid subs over at markclair.com. Um, check it out any way you like. I really appreciate your support and I do my best to give you value for that. So that being said, hope you enjoy the conversation today in case I don't see you until next time. Good afternoon. Good evening. And good night. (laughs) 